but we're glad to have you back. Uh, we're going to be back in the book of John tonight. John chapter 8. Last week we uh, tried to finish John chapter 8 and stopped a little short. There was just a lot there that uh, needed to be thought through. But last week we saw uh, Christ again teaching in the temple and, and he's working with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the priests and just trying to get them to understand. Uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> told them that whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin, that, that they were of their father, the devil, and uh, they're just arguing back and forth with him. And we left off in verse number 46, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight. John chapter 8 and verse number 46, the Bible says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray. Father God, again, we come to you today just hungry for your word. Lord, seeking your truth, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would speak to our hearts, that this truth of who Christ is would sink in and that it would mold us and shape us, Lord, that we could see uh, in our lives a change, a change to follow you. So God, please, we thank you for everything that happened today at the park. We thank you for the, the kids that were able to come and be witness to, that we were able to come and, and paint and we were able to be a part of their lives. So Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us today, that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, please, work in our hearts. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christ is teaching some pretty hard things to the Jews here. Again, he's just got done telling them that they are of their father the devil, a, a liar and a murderer was he. Uh, they have failed to see their need and understand who Christ is. But we start off in verse number 46 where we left off last week. Christ says, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is, I feel, growing weary here of repeating himself. These men just are not listening. They're not allowing their hearts to be opened, their eyes and their ears to be opened to hear and understand what he has to say. 
But in verse 46, he says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? Now this word convince stems from the same root word as the word that we use for convict. To convict someone, uh, or in order to convict someone of a crime, you have to convince a judge or a jury that they have committed that crime. You have to prove that they've done something. And that's what Christ is saying here. What sin have I committed? He's asking, who can show evidence of my sin? But much like we saw as we started chapter 8, where they brought the woman that was taken in adultery, and, and Christ simply said, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. You that are without sin, cast the first stone. And they left, starting at the oldest, down to the last. Every one of them knew they had sin in their own hearts. They looked inside themselves. Here, Christ is doing much the same thing and saying, look, show me. What sin have I committed? And as they look, they can't come up with one. Notice that nobody answers him. Nobody can show a sin that, that he's committed. Now, when they're not in front of him, when they're not standing in front of the person they're accusing, when they're not standing in front of the Son of God, they can come up with all kinds of things that he's done. They've accused him of blasphemy. They've accused him of all kinds of evil and wicked things. Yet, here they are, not able to bring any, work, any sins against him. Their talk is tough, but the truth is always the same. Christ is sinless. How often have we been falsely accused or misjudged in some matter? Our ancestors in the faith were martyred, each and every one, under the guise of some false sin. Many were martyred because they would not uh, accept infant baptism. They believed that baptism was by immersion for believers only. Many were uh, martyred. We talked about uh, William Tyndale this morning who was martyred simply for trying to translate the Bible into the English language to give it to the people so that it wasn't just the royalty or, or the priests that had access. The truth is that an unrighteous judge judges unrighteously. This is another point to add to Christ's earlier statement about judgment belonging to God. God is the only one who is truly righteous, who is truly holy, who can truly judge us for who we are. He's the only one that can carry out judgment, and he was the only one that could pay the penalty. Christ adds in verse number 47 that those uh, that are of God heareth God's words. Verse number 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. At this point, only three people in the New Testament have heard the audible voice of God. When we, go, when we went back to Matthew and we looked at the uh, announcement of Christ's birth, and, and we know that Zechariah heard the voice of God, heard the, spoke to an angel, we know that Mary spoke to an angel and heard the voice of God, and we know that, that or heard the, the words of God, and we know that Joseph spoke to an angel and heard the words of God. Those are the only three people at this point, aside from those that are physically standing there listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't believe he's the Son of God, that have heard the voice of God. 
But Israel hadn't heard the voice of God for many, many, many years. You have to go all the way back to Abraham, to the Twelve Fathers, to see where Israel truly heard the voice of God. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees and, and believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Jacob wrestled with God until the dawning of the day, and it changed his life. He became Israel. They didn't just hear with their ears. They heard with their heart. That's why so often when I pray, I pray that God wouldn't just speak to our ears, but that it would travel to our hearts and it would change us. That we would truly hear and understand God's word because Israel has missed it. And because of that, they don't belong to God. As we learned this morning, we must make the choice to hear God in every instance. We must make the choice. Because it is a choice. It's not by accident that we hear the voice of God. It's only by choice. We must choose to hear what he has to say and act on it in our lives. These men that are listening to Christ right now might as well have been listening to Charlie Brown's teacher instead of the Son of God. For those of you that don't know Charlie Brown's teacher, it was the lady in the background that just went wah, 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 wah. I know that's what your parents sound like most of the time. But they got just as much out of, would have gotten just as much out of Charlie Brown's teacher as they're getting out of Christ saying, you are of your father, the devil. You are not children of God. You are not living God's life. If you were truly Abraham's seed, then you would do the works of Abraham. It's just going in one ear and out the other. At this point, the Jews have, have just become fed up. They have no other recourse. They can't take any more of what's being said. All they can, and they don't have any way to refute it. So all they can do is resort to something that we all faced as children. They start calling names and saying insults. They step up. In verse number 48, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-Jews. Uh, they, they, were, they were people that came from Jews that had mixed with the, the races, the nations around them that God had commanded them not to. Again, another people that didn't listen to God. And because of that, they were not completely Jew, but they were not completely uh, Gentile. They were somewhere in the middle. And the, the true Jews hated them. But they go on to say, and thou hast a devil. You're possessed. Imagine the Son of God. They're telling him that he's possessed by a devil. You can't possibly be the Son of God because you're not truly a Jew. You can't possibly be the Son of God because you're possessed by a devil. How weak and childish is this argument? But Jesus' reply is so very simple. 
No, I don't have a devil, but I do honor my father. I'm doing exactly what the Lord Jesus, or what, what God the Father has told me to do. I am telling you exactly what was told me. But not only do I honor my Father, but you dishonor me. This is a direct reference to his deity. His unmistakable deity. The evidence is all there. All they have to do is open their eyes. God is his Father, and as his Father, he is the Son of God and is royalty and a ruler over them. He should, as he walked this earth, been the commander of all of the world. That should have been what everyone saw in him as the Son of God. Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse number 33. says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servant and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. Luke chapter 20 verses 9 through 16 give basically the same testimony. Christ was telling them that, that the husbandman had sent his only son. The authority, someone who should have had the authority in their lives and they killed him. He's already said that he is going to go, uh, given us a prophecy that he's going to go to the cross, that he must hang, that he must be lift up off the earth. That he's going to die. He's already told them what they're going to do. But he continues on. In verse number 50, And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. I'm not doing this for my glory. I'm doing this for the glory of the Father. We saw Gideon this morning as he took the earrings of his of the prey and he made the ephod and, and Israel went whoring after it. We think that, you know, I believe that Gideon was, was in a misguided way trying to give honor and glory to God. But he should have asked God what he needed to do. He should have asked God how to give him honor and glory. Christ didn't have to ask because Christ was God. Everything he did pointed to God. But in verse 51, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now there are many that have gotten really messed up right here. There are some that believe that when they get saved, if they keep and do all of the law and do everything that God has, has for them to do, there will never be pain, there will never be sorrow, there will never be death in their life. And that's truly not the case. Death is a very simple thing. Death is, at its most basic form, separation from something or someone. 
what we see as death here on earth is our loved ones going and being put in the ground and being separated from us never to be seen again while we walk this earth. But when you go back to Genesis and you look at the, the warning that God had given Adam and Eve about eating of the, the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that when they did, they would surely die. And then when they did eat, Adam and Eve didn't die. At least according to our perspective, what we know is death today, Adam and Eve didn't die. But they did. Because after that point, when God went to walk with them in the cool of the day and, and they admitted that they had sinned in the garden and he brought down punishment, he separated them for the rest of their lives from him. When they were removed from the garden, placed on the east of the Garden of, of Eden with the flaming sword, the cherubs with the flaming swords trying to keep them out. Well, not trying to keep them out, but trying to keep the devil out. They were separated from God. They never again, Adam and Eve never again heard the audible voice of God. They lived, Adam lived to be over 900 years old. He had sons and daughters. Yet he never again spoke to God. He had walked daily in the garden with God, speaking to him, hearing the word of God. But now that sin had entered his life, that spiritual death had occurred and he was no longer able to be there. This is the death that, that Christ is speaking of here. If we know God's word, we keep his commandments, we will never see that death. We will never see that separation from God. The other way to look at this is if you're a believer, if you're saved and you're walking with God, that death is not death for us. It's not the end, it's a beginning. Death becomes a door for us to enter eternity with Christ. But Adam and Eve had lost all connection. They lived for several hundred years separated from the Lord. Now, the Lord did talk to their children. He talked to Cain. It's not recorded that he talked to Abel. Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but he talked to Cain. And Cain again chose to walk away. This is such a great picture for us. As we walk this earth for a very short time, Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden for a very short time with God. But when we leave this earth, we have eternity, the rest of time, to either be with the Lord or dead to the Lord. The Jews misunderstand what Christ is saying and begin to argue that Abraham is dead and the prophets are dead. But I say unto you, they are not. Christ himself said, am I, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. 
Am I the God of the dead? No, I'm the God of the living. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. When he left this earth, he went to paradise for a while until Christ could pay the penalty on the cross. But then he immediately went to heaven to be with God for the rest of eternity. He is alive in heaven and we will see him one day. We will see Paul. We will see Peter. We will see James and John. We will see all of those men and women of our history that have been martyred because they chose above all to serve God. We will see them someday. All of this has got the Jews just angry. And again, they take up stones to try and stone Christ. And the the Bible tells us that he hides himself and leaves the temple going right through the midst of them. This is just another reminder for us that when it's our time to die, it's our time to die. But if it's not, it's not. Christ has said over and over again, it is not yet my time. The truth for us is this. All those that have come to this earth and gone have done so in God's time. I've been to to many funerals and and heard people say that so-and-so left this world too early. That's not the case. God took them at their appointed time to either join Him or be separated from Him for eternity in hell. The sobering thing here is we each have an appointed time that we will leave this earth. And it will be no sooner or no later than that appointed time. We don't know when that time is. It could be today. There was a part of me that thought it could have been Friday night. For me. Yet we still live each day like we have all the time in the world. There's no urgency. We must make a conscious choice to urgently and zealously serve God every day that we have. When we do this, we can be assured that Whatever the outcome of the day was done for Christ. This is why the men in Matthew 24, the parable of the talents, the one that was given five and the one that was given two, those men didn't know when their master was returning and they took everything that they had and they worked every day for the goals of their master. And they were able to give him back more than what they had given, what he had given them. And his words to them were, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But that last man, he just took what God had given him and what his master had given him and hid it in the ground. He still gave him back what he'd been given, but there was nothing more. There was nothing extra. He wasted his time and he was called a wicked and unprofitable servant. He was cast out. 
many, if not all, of our Baptist ancestors understood this idea. And that's why they could go to their deaths without fear. We talked about William Tyndale this morning. That's why as he's being pushed, the story is, as he's being pushed down the road in a wheelbarrow, unable to move himself, to carry himself, to be burned at the stake, he reached down and plucked a flower and he prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. He prayed for the very man that was putting him to death. Stephen, in the book of Acts, as he's being stoned, looks up to heaven and prays, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because he knew that it was his time and that it was God's purpose. He knew that death was just another door. Christ closes out by leaving them all standing there holding stones, furious. One day very soon, he's going to come back and when he leaves, they're not going to be holding stones angry at him. They're going to be left forever in a lake that burneth with fire. Today was a little bit of a struggle. It was cold. It was windy. We were in a bad place. Nobody wanted to come back there. We can have all the excuses we want in the world. But that was exactly where God wanted us to be. And whether we see it or not, we had an impact. And I'm confident that we made a difference. We need to live every day with that confidence. The only way to do that is to every day make the choice that today I'm going to serve God to the best of my ability. Today I'm going to do everything that I can to serve Him. And I'm going to let him place my feet, guide my steps. And then whether it's rejoicing with somebody who's just gotten saved or holding the hand of a loved one as they pass from this earth or being stuck off in war somewhere, no matter what the day is, the best day or the worst day, we can have the confidence to know that that's exactly where God wants us to be. Because we've sought His face. We've allowed Him to lead us there. And we're serving Him.